Welcome to Demand and Disrupt the Disability Podcast. Here, we will learn to advocate for ourselves and each other. This podcast is supported with funds from the Advocado Press based in Louisville, Kentucky. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Demand and Disrupt a Disability Podcast. I am your host, Kimberly Parsley. And I'm Lisa McKinley. Today, we'll be speaking with Frankie James, a Canadian author, disability rights advocate, political advocate, and author of the her latest book, Freeing Teresa. Freeing Teresa is a story, a true life story, about Frankie and her sister Teresa with Down syndrome, and it, it's uh, an amazing book. I read it myself, and we'll be speaking with her and hearing all about her story. Uh, it's a quite an amazing um, story about how her sister was placed into a nursing home against her will, and Frankie helped free her sister, which has really got me thinking. Kimberly, have you ever heard of the mantra, nothing about us without us? I have, and I think it so perfectly encapsulates how we feel um, as disabled people when throughout I would say the whole course of human history, people have always thought they knew what was best for us. And, you know, not just our own bodily autonomy did we have to fight for, but we had to fight just for the right to be considered beings with sentience who should be in control of our own destinies. And it's really been that way until very recent future, which is both great that it's not like that now so much and also sucks that it was like that for so long, right? I mean, it baffles me to think that not that long ago in our history, people like us were being sent to institutions. Yeah, yeah, um, because just for blindness, you know, not that. Yeah, because they just couldn't consider that anyone with a physical disability could have anything con to contribute to society, right? That was just an unheard of idea. So we have made so much progress. We have so much work to do, so much further to go. But if you really think about it, we have made so much progress. And I'm really thankful for, you know, all the advocates and and the people who have really laid the groundwork, it, it's something we shouldn't take for granted. And we need to carry on that tradition, I think. True. That's true. Um, they left us a legacy that we need to guard for the priceless gift that it is. And so nothing about us, everyone, you know, think about that uh, as you, as you go forward. And we will hear from Teresa in this in this interview, correct? Yes, we're going to hear um, we're going to hear some from Teresa and her sister Frankie is going to help translate what she is saying. Um, Teresa has a wonderful voice, and um, Frankie has been a wonderful what I would call a mouthpiece for Teresa. It's not that Teresa doesn't have a voice; it's that so often. Voices like hers are not heard by others. People refuse to hear them. And sometimes we just need to step in and be a megaphone for those types of voices. And that's what Frankie did. 
That's awesome. And I believe she is our first international guest, correct? Yes, absolutely. From Canada. She's from Canada. International. Yes. It's going to be great. Yeah. Not our last though. There is, there is more, there are more international voices in the works. So you all be, um, be listening for that. And of course, our theme music is by Chris Ankin, who is British. So we do have that going for us. We, no barriers, no boundaries. We, we, we are full on worldwide international here at Demand and Disrupt. Absolutely. How cool is that? <laughs> so if anyone out there has a story about your own struggles and under the idea of nothing about us without us, and you have stories you want to tell, go ahead and send us an email to demandanddisrupt at gmail.com. Let us know about that. We, uh, we would love to hear it. We'd love to share your story. If you want to be on the podcast, we'd love that. I want to give a shout out to Rick Roderick. Rick was on one of our early episodes and he reached out to let us know that he listens to our podcast on his new Victor Reader stream three, which he got as a Christmas present this year, which is an awesome Christmas present. It is a device for uh, people who are blind and low vision to help them uh, consume audio content, music, podcasts, books, all that kind of stuff. The Victor Reader stream, wonderful device. I had the first generation. Lisa, did you ever have one of those? I never had one. Ah, well, it was an amazing device. I hear the new one's awesome. So thank you, Rick, for reaching out. I do appreciate it. Hope you and Marissa are doing well. And now we'll listen to our interview that Lisa did with Frankie James. Hello, welcome to Demand and Disrupt. I'm here today with Frankie James. She's here to tell us about her latest book, Freeing Teresa, a story about her and her sister. Frankie, welcome to the program. Tell us a little bit about the book. Well, thank you, Lisa, for having me on. So Freeing Teresa is a true story about my sister and me, and it's taken 10 years to write this story and uh, it's about uh, helping my sister Teresa get out of the nursing home that she was put into in 2013 and learn and and speak up for herself so where is your sister Teresa now and what is she doing so Teresa is in our dining room and she has her word search books and her um, sketchbooks and her coloring all about her. And uh, she really does a lot of art and writing each day. We're in Vancouver, BC, which is not where the story starts out. The story starts out in Toronto, Ontario, but the circumstances led us to move to uh, BC. And Teresa is just thriving here, and it's just wonderful. Um, since we moved to BC, Teresa has published two books, and the uh, her books are called Pretty Amazing, uh, How I Found Myself in the Downtown East Side, and Totally Amazing, Free to Be Me. And uh, they were published in 2016 and 2018. And their art and poetry books featuring a lot of her self-talk 
which comes together as poetry. It's really quite remarkable. Free to be me. I love that title. It says so much, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, Teresa has uh, has really found herself, I think, and she's free to be herself. And we're not uh, disapproving of her self-talk. In fact, we see it as inspiration for her poetry. And she's uh, created a wonderful poem called I'm Alive. And just a beautiful poem um, that just celebrates her life. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's all her, her self-talk. I love that. And, you know, so many of us, we don't have the pleasure and privilege of knowing or loving someone with Down syndrome. Can you tell me what was it like growing up with Teresa? Well, the uh, when my mother, this was back in 1964 when Teresa was first born, I remember her telling me that um, Teresa had some health challenges. And she first told me that Teresa had a heart condition that might require surgery. And I was very upset, very, very upset. I was only a little kid at that point. And, uh, and then she said, and Teresa has Down syndrome, so she won't be like the rest of us. And I thought, you know, I didn't know what that meant. And, uh, but my mother said that they were going to bring Teresa back uh, and she would be part of the family, just um, as, you know, she would participate the same way as any one of us and be showered with all the same love. And I thought that was so nice. And my mother really was a great champion for Teresa. If you can believe it, back in 1964, she had Teresa working with a personal trainer to help develop her muscles. And so... By the time she was like four or five, she was able to climb the gym ropes. And I have photographs showing her climbing the gym ropes. Just totally remarkable. And Teresa went to the same school I went to. So I was really inspired by Teresa and by my mother's approach to helping Teresa to be included in all things. And I remember when... Um, she was just an infant and I would stand outside the gym doors and Teresa would scream bloody murder. And I thought, oh, mom, you've got to stop the the lessons. It's, it's hurting Teresa. And she and my mother would say to me, no, 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 it's good for her. And she persevered. And the uh, Teresa was not in any pain at all. <laughs> she was just learning how to do the exercises. I love that. God bless your mom, because we need people like that. Um, Back in 2013 is is when Teresa was put in a nursing home, and you that that was the day you helped get her out. Can you tell me about that day? Uh, yes, I was so shocked that Teresa had been put into the nursing home because I'd been trying to persuade my siblings that it was a bad idea and that we should find a way for Teresa to live in the community. I mean, she'd been living with my dad for 49 years successfully. Um, but um, they decided that they would uh, take Teresa out for breakfast and then they um, put her into the nursing home without telling Teresa or my dad what was happening. And I was so upset when I heard just... And so I talked to my dad and I said, do, do you want to 
um, to get Teresa out of there. And he said, yes, you know, it's a terrible thing that she's there. And so um, four days after she was put in, we went down to, we helped my dad go down to the um, nursing home. We took a cab and uh, we asked to see Teresa and the, um, we went in and it was um, a shared room that she was in and we sat there for hours asking to, you know, speaking to the nurses and asking if we could see the admission papers that had gotten Teresa put in. And the nurses came in and out and wondering what's going on. Why are these people here asking for the admission papers? But um, eventually we got them. And my dad, who was a former um, lawyer, he was a retired lawyer, he was able to see that uh, he was still senior power of attorney on the forms. And that gave him the power to sign Teresa out. And so um, we, I checked with the disability lawyer that we had um, on call and he said, yes, you know, you can sign Teresa out. Just, uh, you know, tell them what you're going to do. And so we went to the front desk and we talked to the CEO and we talked to the nurse in charge. And uh, we, uh, uh, they said that we could take Teresa out, but she would be discharged against medical advice because they still believed that Teresa had to stay in the nursing home. And God bless my dad. He just signed the forms and said, we're taking her out. And uh, we were so thrilled. And just as we were leaving, <laughs> we heard that my sister, who I called Deirdre in the book, um, was coming down and, and wanted us to wait um, until she got there. But we weren't waiting. We hopped in a cab and we went back to my father's condo to celebrate that we had gotten Teresa out. We were so happy. Freeing Teresa happened 10 years ago, the, this event. How do you remember it so accurately? And what is it now that you decided this was the time to, to write down the story and, and document it in a book? Right, right. Uh, great question. So when the events were unfolding, I was in disbelief. I thought, how could this be happening? How could they be trying to put Teresa into a nursing home? I, I just, I couldn't believe it. And they had stopped putting stuff in writing. So they had stopped answering my questions in emails. And I thought, you know what? I need to record things just in case things go off the rails. And I need to prove what was happening at the time and and also just to get some distance from it so that I can I have I can have an accurate record of what happened. And so I called up each of my siblings and I sort of interviewed them and recorded it about what they were doing and why they felt that Teresa had to go into a nursing home. And I'm so glad I did because now we have a record of what they were saying and what I was saying. And the, uh, the thing is that we can see now, here it is 10 years later, that Teresa has thrived and that she didn't need 24-7 um, care. She didn't need to be in a nursing home. And there's so many things that she's just achieved that it would, 
it puts to shame on lots of people's resumes. Teresa is amazing. So why did I write this book? It's because I wanted the story out there. I wanted people to know that Teresa is just one of many that this is happening to. And that many people don't have someone in their corner like me who are saying, no, 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 don't put her into a nurse home. Um, they've got people who are just keeping their mouths shut and looking the other way and letting people be put into uh, nursing homes. And it is happening in Canada and the U.S. Disability Scoop has many articles on um, the problem of uh, young people with disabilities in nursing homes. It's really important to, to be a voice for those who may not be heard. It's not that Teresa doesn't have a voice. It's that her voice wasn't being heard. So you were kind of serving as a megaphone for her, weren't you? Yes, that's right. And the thing is that Teresa did tell the social worker that she could dress herself and she could shower herself and she could go to the bathroom by herself. But the problem was that the social worker did not believe her. And in writing on the health forms, it says, this is proof of her cognitive decline. And so he listened to my siblings and the caregivers who were saying that Teresa couldn't do these things. And Teresa was trying to stick up for herself and say, I can't do these things. But you can imagine how frightening it would be for any individual if they're surrounded by a circle of people who say, she's not smart enough. She should go into a nursing home. You know, she can't take care of herself. And how can you be strong enough in your voice to shout down all of those people is very, very hard. So we all need advocates and people in our corner who are going to help defend us. Absolutely. And there was a scene in the book where your sister, Siobhan, she tells you that Teresa is going to be put in a, a nursing home because she's been deemed incompetent by a social worker. Ultimately, how did you have that ruling overruled and how did you get Teresa's rights restored? Right. So my goodness, that was so hard to do. And I wouldn't have known how to do it um, unless I called a lawyer. So we called our disability lawyer and we said, how do we, how do we fix this? How do we get Teresa back her rights? And he explained to us that what we had to do was hire a capacity assessor who, um, you know, had been, who was certified and had been working in the field for decades and get that person over to interview Teresa. So we hired um, a capacity assessor and the capacity assessor came over and interviewed Teresa twice and interviewed us and asked lots and lots of questions and had charts and diagrams to show Teresa to explain the, um, uh, the, uh, the situation. And um, she wrote up a very formal um, legal report that said that Teresa did have the right to make her own personal care decisions. And then we took that piece of paper to a lawyer, and it had to be Teresa's own lawyer. It couldn't be our lawyer. So we had to hire a lawyer for Teresa, and we did. And that lawyer was able to help Teresa to draw up a new power of attorney. 
and appointing me as her personal care person. And in that way, I was able to help Teresa get her health records, which had been hidden from her. It's such a funny thing, the way that the health system thinks that they're protecting vulnerable people by not allowing their health records to be seen by even the vulnerable person. So Teresa couldn't get access to her own health records unless she had her power of attorney for personal care, meaning me, ask for them and help her look at them. Now, before Teresa was placed in the nursing home by your siblings, you actually told them, you know, I would like to take Teresa home with me to live with us. But they went ahead and had Teresa placed in the nursing home. Why do you think they did that? The thing is that when Bella and I came up with the idea that we would take Teresa, it was really to stop the freight train that was driving Teresa into the nursing home. We thought, this will do it. We weren't going to take Teresa before, but we had to agree to take her in order to stop the train that was going to put her into long-term care. And we offered to take Teresa. And unfortunately, my siblings just went ahead. They had, I think, in their own consciousness, they had a plan. And I was the little sister who was upsetting their plan. And uh, when I go back to what they said about their reasons, they gave a lot of reasons why Teresa had to be in long-term care, but none of them made any sense to me. Um, you know, things like she needs 24-7 care. Well, she didn't. We don't have enough money. Well, that's not a reason to put her in long-term care. You know, And they just go on and on. In the book, you have a lot of the figures represented as white silhouettes. Can you tell us about that and, and why you chose to represent um, certain characters that way? That's a really good question. So the thing is that this is a very difficult story to tell. And uh, I've had to consult lawyers and think about um, privacy issues. And uh, the reason that I've made my siblings white um, silhouettes is to protect their privacy. So I can put photos in the book, which document what happened and the, the nice life that we were having. And I can be in the photo and our backgrounds could be in the photo, but the figures of my siblings are not in the photos, they're silhouettes. And they really represent a loss in my life and in Teresa's life too, that we no longer, you know, are, are in touch with my siblings, unfortunately. And I have to say that we could be in touch with them, um, but they would have to recognize that Teresa never had to be in a nursing home and they haven't recognized that. So do you think, it's possible to ever have reconciliation with your family at some point? Well, I think we need truth and reconciliation. And uh, anything is possible. It really is possible. Um, but we need to have the truth on the table. What happened? And um, an acknowledgement of that in order to have reconciliation. So I'm so happy that, you know, 
treat that I believed in Teresa all along. And she's really flourished. And, you know, when I go back to that time, it was just a belief. It was a belief. I looked at Teresa and I saw, I saw beauty in her and I saw energy and love. And I didn't understand what was happening to her, but I was sure that I could provide a wonderful life for Teresa. And thank God it's happened that way. And, you know, and she's gone on to become a published author and to get actually get an apology from the government for putting her into long-term care. And uh, she's been celebrated as a champion of human rights, um, a champion for change by the Human Rights Commissioner here in BC. Because there are many people that look up to Teresa and are happy to see that she has spoken up for herself and, you know, and really said that what would happen to her was wrong and that she's um, going to have a nice life. I think it's incredible that you all have found this wonderful life with each other. How has Teresa enriched your life? Because I know initially it wasn't your plan for Teresa to come live with you. Initially, brother was going to open his home to Teresa, but he decided against that. And and now Teresa lives with you. And I'm sure that has enriched your life in ways you never even thought possible. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, so it's it's turned our life upside down, and but in many ways it's improved it. So we were quite happy and content living in Toronto. We had a nice house, we had a nice uh, business, we had nice friends. But when really when the shit hit the fan, uh, we dropped everything and we decided uh, to move west, thousands of kilometers away from Toronto to the west coast of, of Canada, Vancouver. And really our lives revolve around Teresa. What she is doing has is so inspiring. The way that she's found her voice, she's speaking up, she's making our work, she's letting us know what she thinks and feels, and we see it every day. I wonder if you would maybe speak to some of our listeners out there who maybe in that same situation maybe they have a loved one that that needs more care than what they're getting right now and and there's the choice to to open the home to that loved one i mean what would you say to family members well i i had to i had to grow um in order to become a caregiver to teresa and in a little way, I wasn't really sure if I could do it because now I brush Teresa's hair, you know, I put in her oil at night, I, I read stories to her and we draw on the computer. And these are all lovely things that I've, I've grown into doing, but they're not things that I initially understood that I would have to do. So I would say to people that by helping someone who is more vulnerable than you um, live in the community, you will be enriched a thousandfold. And it's hard to believe from where you're at right now, you know, it, it may be very difficult to believe that that is true. But I, in my case, 
with Teresa, it has been true. We've really, we've all blossomed and grown. And I spoke with your husband, Bill, right before you came on, and, and he is just a wonderful support to you. Tell me how important it is to have someone supporting you on a journey like this. Oh, my goodness. It was so important. And uh, Bill helps me in every way with Teresa. So we're a team and supporting her. And throughout, as the events unfolded, and we're going, can you believe what's happening here? Listen to this. What do you think? And he was my sounding board and my, my bolster. He really gave me courage to stick to my beliefs and fight for Teresa's rights. You say in the book that Teresa is just really the tip of the iceberg when it comes to forced care. Can you tell me a little more about that? What are the statistics? Oh, that's so true. The thing is that when it first happened to Teresa that she was put into long-term care, I thought she was the only one. And I, um, I presented to uh, members of parliament and I told them what was going on and they came back with a report that said that nursing homes are being pressured to accept people with developmental disabilities uh, into nursing homes without any training by their staff or any medical need by the person who has the developmental disabilities. And then in 2016, a really terrific reporter named Christina Stevens dug into Teresa's case, and she helped us to get the apology for Teresa from the government. But in the process of her research, she turned up the fact that there were about 2,900 Ontarians in 2016 who were, like Teresa, in nursing homes. And then Disability Scoop in 2023 is reporting that two articles um, that I pulled up recently uh, in uh, Florida, a judge rebuked the state saying, um, stop funneling kids into nursing homes. And then in New Jersey in 2023, uh, an article, people with intellectual disabilities wrongly forced into nursing homes. And in each case, that represents thousands of people. So it really is a growing problem in Canada and the U.S. And I think many of the same factors are prevalent in both countries. There's not enough um, group homes to support people with intellectual disabilities. And this is a solution to get people with intellectual disabilities taken care of, but it's not a loving home. And it, it doesn't give them any freedom at all. I, will, I know you have some really cool things coming up as far as your advocacy oh. and, and things going on with, with you and Teresa. Can you tell me what is in the future for you all? Well, there are two things that I'm really excited about. One is we've got an audiobook coming out I, in, I think in March. And that is going to be so fun. It's the Freeing Teresa audiobook. We have a full cast of actors, over a dozen actors, two with intellectual disabilities. And the person who is playing Teresa is Lauren Potter, who is an American TV star, uh, better known for Glee. 
And uh, we're very excited. This I think that this book is is really going to be uh, powerful to listen to because you'll be able to hear all these different voices of my siblings and the different characters in the in the book instead of just me reading the whole thing. And what else do you have going on? I know you have some events planned. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Well, uh, Teresa and I are appearing at a panel in at the conference, Inclusion BC's conference in late May. And the panel is on the quiet reinstitutionalization of young people with disabilities in nursing homes. And so uh, we have a couple of experts that are on the panel with myself and with Teresa, and we're going to be talking about the problem. And I think that it, you know, Teresa has such an important role to play in that because she is an example. She is going to be there as a living example of someone that this happened to 10 years ago and it should never have happened. Frankie's right. It should have never happened. But the sad truth is stories like this will continue to happen without the support of strong advocates. So thank you, Frankie. We'd like to end today's program by taking a few minutes to listen to a short poem Teresa wrote about what it means to her to be free and alive. It is a poem of self-talk. Self-talk helps Teresa make sense of the world around her. Teresa's voice may be difficult for some to understand, so after she reads her poem, I will translate her words. And now, here's Teresa. I am alive. Hello. Be nice to everyone. Look, I am alive. You have to be nice. And I am doing fine. Thank goodness. I have to be nice to them and to the other. We are brilliant idea. You're thinking. I am thinking. You're thinking. I think they have to make a list of things. Nurture, flying back, and fired up. We love it here. Everyone loves me. You guys are all right. You guys are born. Really. Okay. I'm a boy. And guess that. I Am Alive by Teresa Hartchild. Hello. Be nice to everyone. Look, I am alive. You have to be nice. I am doing fine, thank goodness. I have to be nice to them and to the others. That's a brilliant idea. You're thinking, and I'm thinking too. I think we need to make a list of the things we need, right? I'm alive. Nesters, flying pig, Prado. We love it here. Everybody loves me. You guys are all right, I know. You guys, I am born. I am alive, redeemed. Okay, I am reborn in Gastown. Thank you, Teresa. What a beautiful expression of what it means to be free. A note to listeners. Nestor's is the grocery store where Teresa likes to shop with Frankie and her husband, Bill. 
The Flying Pig is one of Teresa's favorite restaurants, and Prado is where she loves to have coffee. These are all places Teresa is free to enjoy, places she couldn't visit if she were still in the nursing home. Thank you, Frankie, for being such a strong advocate for Teresa, and thank you, Teresa, for allowing us to share your story. We hope you enjoyed today's program. If you'd like to purchase a copy of the book, Freeing Teresa, visit Amazon.com. Until next time, I'm Lisa McKinley. If you like the podcast, remember to follow or subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you really like the podcast, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That helps more people to find us. If you really, really like the podcast, then please tell someone about it, either in person or send them an email or just share the link on social media. Thank you all. Every bit helps and it makes a huge difference for us. If you'd like a transcript, please send us an email to demandanddisrupt at gmail.com and put transcript in the subject line. Thanks to Steve Moore for helping us out with transcripts. Thanks to Chris Unkin for our theme music. Demand and Disrupt is a publication of the Advocado Press with generous support from the Center for Accessible Living located in Louisville, Kentucky. And you can find links to buy the book, A Celebration of Family, Stories of Parents with Disabilities, in our show notes. Thanks, everyone. Just for once I think I would agree
Spells out the 